As mentioned, we are working our way through these Beatitudes, and so let us begin in verse 3, and we'll go through verse 6 today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You may be seated. Perhaps you remember in John chapter 2, Jesus, along with his family, attended a wedding in Cana. And it's an unknown wedding. We don't know much about the bride. In fact, we do not know her name nor the name of the groom. But we do know this, that there was a problem. At the wedding feast, the wine ran out. Now, in modern day, this might be a minor inconvenience. Perhaps more people came than were expected. Perhaps more was consumed than was estimated. And so we might just say, well, that's all we have. Everyone has probably had enough anyway. But in first century protocol, this was a crisis. Unlike today where the bride's family paid for the wedding and reception, it was the groom and the groom's family that was responsible. In fact, it was part of the dowry price. And to skimp on provisions was not only to show yourself inhospitable, but this was a great insult to the family of the bride. In fact, there was documented lawsuits from this time of one family suing another because of lack of provisions. So where it should be a time of two families coming together, this incident might drive them apart. And Jesus, knowing this problem, because he was approached by his mother, performs a miracle. He turns water into wine. And in fact, this was the first of Jesus' miracles. And we might read such a story and say, well, that's great. That's wonderful, as if this was some supernatural party trick, as it were, that this potential crisis, this embarrassment was avoided. But if we are to only think of this miracle in this way, then we are sorely mistaken. This was much more than that. This was the inaugural event of Jesus entering into public ministry. And you might say, well, why this miracle? Well, if you read the Old Testament and specifically the prophets, we read that there was going to come a day of abundance, a day of joy, a day of celebration. In fact, the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 3 puts it this way. In that day, the mountains will drip with new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley. That was the picture that the prophets put forward to the people, that there was a day coming when there would be this abundance. And so as Jesus begins his ministry the dawning of that new day that the prophets spoke about was beginning. As God steps into His world, 
to accomplish that very task. And what was that task? Well, it was the redemption of creation. To redeem a world that had been ruined by sin and by the fall. A world that is at once. A world that is in desperate need. And isn't that the picture that is put before us in John chapter 2? As Jesus enters into this scene, this wedding at Cana, the revelry of that event, the celebration of it, and yet there was a problem. There was no wine. The wine ran out. Literally, the wine ran dry, or if you read it quite literally, according to the Greek, literally, the wine failed which is a demonstration of all earthly provisions. In the midst of all of the greatest earthly celebrations, they all come to an end, they all run out, they all ultimately fail. And yet, that was the world that Jesus entered into. And Jesus wasn't there just to provide more earthly provisions. Now, Jesus comes into the world and says, I am your provision. I am that wine that you need to drink. I am that bread in which you need to eat. It comes from above. And that which comes from above has now come down to earth so that you can be satisfied. And so this morning, as we come to this Beatitude, we see that is exactly what Jesus says. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so as we come to such a text, let me just begin by asking, do you know of such a thirst? Are you seeking such a drink? Do you know of such a hunger? And have you found the substance For your soul. That's what this passage is asking this morning. And we'll see it in three points. The need, the substance, and then the satisfaction. First, the need. As we come once again to these Beatitudes, it's right for us to define what we're talking about. These eight statements are really a synopsis of the Christian life, of Christian and kingdom living. It's how a Christian is to live both inwardly and outwardly. And so there really is no better summary than these eight Beatitudes. But the question might be, and perhaps you've thought it, is are these Beatitudes how one becomes a Christian? Or are these Beatitudes about what it means to be a Christian? How to live as a Christian? And the answer is yes. Both and, that this is both the way into the kingdom of God as well as life in the kingdom, underneath the king. That these are things that not only must have taken place in your life, but they must continually take place. That they must be constant. Because that need is always there, isn't it? On this side of heaven, on this side of glory, we are never lacking, right? We are always poor in spirit, We always have that remaining sin that we mourn and grieve over. We must continually be meek in the face of the world and before our God. 
And so that need is always there, but likewise, the promises are always there as well. So we live in constant want as well as constant provision in Christ within such a kingdom as this. And the same goes with this beatitude this morning. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. Now, even as we say this, we understand in parts, and really only in parts, of what it really means to hunger and to thirst. When we talk about being hungry, oftentimes it's because we're just late with eating our lunch, perhaps. It's one o'clock and you normally eat your lunch at 12. Or, or perhaps it's a really bad day and you skip lunch altogether and so at nighttime you go, oh, I haven't eaten. I am so hungry. Or perhaps you know of thirst. You have a hard workout in the morning or you mow the lawn on a hot summer day and you say, I need water. I'm so thirsty. And yes, that is a hunger. That is a thirst of a certain kind. Yet none here knows what some throughout the world are going through even now. Where they're not just missing a meal, but they're missing meal after meal. Where there's widespread famine that can kill and does kill. Where people literally die of dehydration where the eyes begin to bulge and the tongue begins to swell. And so when Jesus talks about hunger and thirst in this beatitude, that is the hunger and thirst that he's talking about. He's not just talking about a grumbling stomach. This is a life and death scenario where you either get water and food or you die. And like I said, we cannot relate to that physically and and praise the Lord for such. We have plenty, oftentimes too much. But that doesn't mean, does it, that we are satisfied people. We may be the most satiated people that have ever lived on the face of this planet We have all of the conveniences, more conveniences than ever before. And yet the Rolling Stones, which have sung this song for 50 years, is still true for most of the population. I can't get no satisfaction. Or you two, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We could say those are the theme songs for the world. Those are especially the theme songs of American culture. And it demonstrates, it's it's proof positive that it is not earthly provisions that can satisfy. Because if it were, then we should be the happiest people on the face of the planet. But we're not. Which demonstrates that when Jesus talks about Hunger and thirst here, he's not talking about just physical hunger and thirst. No, he's talking about a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst. In fact, in John chapter 7, I think we have the proof positive of what he is saying in this beatitude. If you know the context, you would see that Jesus goes to Jerusalem during the time of a festival. It was the festival of booths. 
And if you have any familiarity with Jewish ceremonies, Jewish celebrations, then you would know that the Feast of Booths was a celebration of God's provision to Israel while they were going through the wilderness. How God provided manna and provided quail. Well, this feast would take place during the fall as they were gathering into their crops, as they would have this bounty, as they would have this plenty, they would be reminded that God has given us this wonderful land so that we can be provided for, that we're not out in the wilderness anymore. We have much more than just manna. We have much more than just quail. And as a result, they would eat. And in fact, they would eat for seven days. This festival would go for seven days straight. And so the modern equivalent of it would be like our Thanksgiving I don't know if your Thanksgiving is like my Thanksgiving, but there's a lot of eating that's going on. We eat, and we eat some more, and then we eat a little bit more. Until we say, I cannot eat one more bite. Well, that's exactly what this is, times seven. For seven days straight. And it's in the midst of that feast. It says at the very end, on the very last day, Jesus stood up and said this. If anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. And you might say, Jesus, these people have been drinking and, and eating all week. They've eaten and drinking, drank more in these last seven days than that probably they will in the next month. These people are not thirsty. These people are not hungry. But he says, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me. Which demonstrates Jesus isn't talking about physical thirst, is he? Just as with the Beatitudes, he's not talking about that which is in the stomach or that which our body ultimately needs. He's talking about something much deeper. He's talking about soul thirst. He's talking about soul hunger, which no amount of food or drink can take away. And that's why it's so appropriate in the midst of that feast, that Jesus would ask such a question. Are you still lacking? Are you still not satisfied? Come to me. Find true satisfaction. The same is true today. In the midst of being satiated people. No amount of alcohol or drugs or sex or possessions or position or status in society. Nothing on earth will give that which we ultimately need. It will provide no satisfaction. And so this morning, do you understand that? Do you, do you, do you sense that? That no matter what the world offers, no matter what the advertisements promise you, there's still a need inside of you. That can only be described as Jesus describes it here as a hunger and of a thirst. But it's not in the stomach, is it? It's in the soul. It's in the spirit. It's in the mind. It's in the heart. And the more you try to fill it, the more you try to be satisfied with the things of this world, it just only grows more and more. That longing, that desire is an unquenchable thirst. It's a ravishing hunger. If you understand that, if you know of that, then, my friend, then you are in a place to be satisfied if you look in the right place. You are in the place in order to be filled. 
but filled with what? Well, we need to be filled with the right substance, and that is our second point. If any of you have watched the miniseries Band of Brothers, then you know the scene where the American soldiers liberate a concentration camp. And what they see is overwhelming to them. That the prisoners that are in this camp are like the walking dead. They are but skin and bones. And the natural reaction was, these these people need food. And if you remember, the, the American soldiers begin to give them their rations that they were carrying with them because they think, these people need it more than I do. But then the medics come in and say, you need to cease this immediately because that food will kill them. Their stomachs and their bodies will not be able to digest it. They don't just need anything. They need the right thing. They need the right substance. And that is the same thing here. It's not that we just hunger and thirst for anything as if anything would do. No, we hunger and thirst for the right thing, the the right substance. And Jesus tells us what that is, that we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's righteousness, it's right standing with God, it's right relationship with Him. It's a heart and mind and soul that is made right, that is made whole again. And it's somewhat ironic that Jesus would say this considering who He's speaking to. These were people who thought that they were righteous. We thought they had right relation, right standing with God because they were Jews. They were children of the covenant. But this sermon demonstrates more than anything else that they were not righteous. Nor are we. Because the righteousness cannot be found inside of ourselves. Any more than our hunger and our thirst can be found within us. No, we need a substance outside of us to come in us in order for our hunger and our thirst to go away. Likewise, you need a righteousness outside of yourself to cover you. You need a righteousness that the theologians call an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is foreign to us, but that is imputed to us and imputed to our account. That is the righteousness that comes By faith. That was the great tenet of the Protestant Reformation. That is what Martin Luther said made him come alive when he read in Romans 1, 17 that it's the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith or faith for faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Luther said that was the great tenet that made him Come alive, he says, I was altogether born again and I entered paradise through open gates because he understood that it wasn't his righteousness. His righteousness that he was unable to render before God. But it was the righteousness of another. It was the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That he is the right one. 
That he is the right substance. That he is the sole substance. That we need Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And that through his righteousness that we attain by faith and by faith alone, we are then made righteousness. That we take on his righteous garbs that cover our sinful ones and our unholy ones. And that we're made holy and righteous in Christ. That is the righteousness in which we need. We need that legal righteousness. We need that righteousness accredited to our accounts. But it goes even beyond that. We are not only saved by faith and have this legal righteousness, but we want more. We still have a a greater hunger, a greater desire within us. And that desire is to be made morally righteous as well. That we don't want just the imputed righteousness. Yes, we need that. But we want to have the imparted righteousness to us. That we don't want to just be regarded as holy. We want to be holy. We don't want to just be justified. We want to be sanctified. We don't want to just be saved from the penalty of sin. We want to be saved from the power of sin. Whereby we hate our sins and recognize our poverty and mourn over our sins. And long and hunger and thirst for what is right. But it goes even beyond that. Not just legal righteous, not just moral righteous, but we want social righteousness as well. That we hate injustice in this world. We want the wicked to be overthrown. We want to have the vulnerable protected. We want the poor to be not taken advantage of. We want the world to have a light to shine forth on what is good and what is right that triumphs darkness. So you see that there is this robust view of righteousness that we must have legally, morally, socially. In fact, if you were to ask me, and I hope you would say the same if someone was to come and say, you have three wishes, what would your three wishes be? I know what they would be for me. They would be around this. First of all, I want to be made right with my God, with my Creator. Second, I want to be right within myself. And third, I want to be right within a world that is right. I hope with every fiber of your being you say, yes. Yes, that is what I want. More than anything. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I desire for the world around me. And it's not trite to say that is found in Jesus. That Jesus is the answer to all of those. That it's in him that we find this righteousness. It's in him we find this satisfaction. And that is our third point as we see this promise that those that hunger and thirst will be filled. They'll be satisfied. They'll be full. That this vacuum, this void, this hunger and thirst not only has been filled, is being filled, but will be filled. That this is the place of soul satisfaction. That this is the place of soul desire. We can be momentarily satisfied with so many things, can we not? But it never lasts. The very best meal 
you'll still be hungry the next day. The very best earthly experience will soon fade into distant memory. But yet this satisfaction that Jesus talks about isn't just for a moment. It isn't just for a day. It isn't even for a year. It's for ever. It's for all eternity. That there is no expiration date on this. In fact, we can say that the satisfaction will grow exponentially each and every day. And I hope you have sensed that in your own spiritual life, in your own walk with the Lord, that you begin to be more satisfied in Christ and less satisfied in other things. Because you don't need other things to be satisfied because Christ is enough. And then even as we talked about last week, that in the new heavens and the new earth, that that will be even greater. In the fullness of delight, in the full radiance of the sun, in the presence of his being, there all will be made right. There we will be fully right with God, fully right within ourselves, and fully right within this world that God will recreate. You see, the satisfaction is in Christ. We need not look anywhere else. That's why Jesus says to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water, speaking of the the well water there, will be thirsty again. But he says, I will give a different drink. And whoever drinks of that water will never be thirsty again. And likewise, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus tells to the crowd, do not labor for food that perishes, but food that endures to eternal life. And they rightfully ask, sir, give us this bread. Jesus says, I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again, do you know of this bread? Do you know of this water? Have you ate and drank of it deeply? Every time as you come to this Lord's table, do you say, this is, this is truly where I'm satisfied. This, in the broken body of, of Christ and the, the shed blood, this is where I am satisfied. This is where all things are made right. This is the answer. Here is the righteousness of God demonstrated in visible form to me. And I eat and I partake of it. And it satisfies that hunger and thirst. It gives me all that I stand in need of. In a moment we're going to sing the hymn, Give Me Jesus. And as you know, the wonderful melody of that song is, You may have all the world. Give me Jesus. Because I hunger and thirst for Him, for Him alone. It's in Him that I'm simultaneously Hungry, because I'm, I'm always hungering for more of Christ. At the same time, I'm simultaneously satisfied in Him. I'll close with this. Being in a church, there's not a week that goes by where we do not get a call from those in, in need. Asking for help. Help with rent. Help with their power bill. Help with filling up their their cars with gas. And obviously there's a a limit to what we can do, but the deacons here have have graciously set us up in the office to 
be able to give grocery gift cards. So we, we hand out a, a Kroger gift card to those in need. So at the very least, that they can get some food and, and get some supplies. And usually if anybody comes in, we'll meet with them, pray with them, and give them one of these cards. And cards. And so as you can imagine, it doesn't take long for, for that to get out. And we get other calls, and we've heard this before, saying, I heard that you all are the Kroger Church. Which is fine. There's far worse things to be known for. <laughs> but I'm waiting for the day when I get a call when someone says, I hear that's the church where I can get Jesus. Give me Jesus. That's what I need. That's the, that's the bread that I long for. That's the cup that I need to be filled with. If that's you this morning, then we would graciously, by God's grace, tell you to come. Come and receive of that. Yes, it's our delight to give of those physical provisions, but those will run out. Those will not last. But what is given to us here in the scriptures, what's given to us in this beatitude is that which you need more than anything else. That is your greatest need. That is where you come filled. That's where you become satisfied. Listening to Isaiah 55. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast and sure love. Indeed, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for this true calling, a true reminder to each and every one of us. Lord, we know of this hunger, we know of this thirst, Yet sadly, we look in all the wrong places. When you give it so graciously, so abundantly through the Lord Jesus Christ, may we come today with hearts full of faith, hearts full of wants, hearts full of desire to be filled by you, knowing that you give us all that we stand in need of, and even then, more so. And that that will last, O oh Lord, not just this day, not only this week, but truly for all eternity. Lord, may we find our soul satisfaction in you. For we pray this in Christ. Amen. Well, join me then in that hymn that was mentioned. It's an insert in your bulletin today. Give me Jesus. Let us rise and make this our closing song.
mentioned before, I hope you'll join us tonight as we welcome the Reverend John Paul from Haiti. Again, you'll be encouraged and blessed if you come. Uh, I was meeting with him this week, and he was asked by many Haitians, uh, because he's a dual citizenship, he's a citizen of America, and he was asked by Haitians, you're American, why haven't you left? Because all the Americans had left. He said, no, I'm a, I'm a Christian. So come tonight and be encouraged by him and by his testimony, by his faith. And afterwards, I'll ask the two newest members to come forward. Please welcome them as new members of the church. Now receive the Lord's blessing and benediction. The Lord bless you and keep The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance and give you that everlasting peace now and forevermore. Amen.